Well, I want to say again, I appreciate each of you being here, especially those of you who are visiting with us. We've had visitors from all over the Chattanooga area, and we appreciate our sister congregations coming out and supporting our gospel meeting effort. We're so very thankful for that. Brother Larry Fife spent the last seven years preaching in Alabama, and he had the good sense to get out of that state. Amen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he recently moved to Cary, North Carolina to take the work at the Cary Church of Christ, and he's doing a wonderful work there, and, and he did a wonderful work in Alabama. I've known him for many, many years. He's a very dear friend of mine. I appreciate him. His good wife, Larissa, uh, Christian, uh, their son is with them tonight, the two daughters, Haley and Myra, and they have an older son in uh, Louisiana right now, his third year at Louisiana Tech. And so uh, they're a wonderful family, wonderful Christian family. Uh, Larry is a, is a faithful and able gospel preacher, and uh, I hold him in high esteem as one of my uh, greatest of friends. Brother, come speak to us. I am an LSU fan, uh, and you have no idea how hard it was to live in the middle of Roll Tide country. And especially when you've been whipped by Alabama for the last five years, it was even tougher. Uh, but the morning a few years ago when Auburn had that kick six and ran that touchdown back in the Iron Bowl game, you would have thought it was a funeral on Sunday morning when Alabama lost. And that was the best sermon I think I've ever preached. <laughs> you know, I noticed that you have two clocks here to make sure the preacher is on time. Uh, I've heard that Rick doesn't stick to that. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me, <laughs> Rick poked his head in the back. Reminds me of the young gospel preacher who was rather long-winded, and one of the older ladies in the congregation, after about 45 minutes, she would always start tapping her watch and point back to the clock. Well, he got tired of that, so he decided to cut a picture of himself out, and he glued it to that clock. Well, the next Sunday morning, he got long-winded again, and she started tapping that clock, and she turned around and pointed and saw his picture on that, she said, oh, heaven, they took down time and put up eternity. <laughs> So I promise not to be too long-winded tonight. But thank you for being here. Uh, so happy to see you back again tonight. Good to see Brother Gary McDade. Uh, Brother Gary McDade helped me start in my television career uh, several years ago when I did my first commercial, I guess. We produced some commercials, put them in Memphis and Birmingham and some other areas when he was with GBN. And I love Brother Gary dearly. Uh, wonderful, wonderful gospel preacher, faithful man. Love him to death and his family and Sheila and Jason. And just so glad I was able to see him and you're able to be here tonight, brother. I want to tell you a story tonight, uh, but this story is not a true story. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's not found in the Bible whatsoever. And we know when we speak on Bible things, we speak on Bible things because those things are the truth. John 17, 17 tells us, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So we understand what truth is, and we're supposed to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So why tell a story that's not true? Well, the reason I want to tell you this story tonight is because this story uh, was a successful one. And I'm going to put this in relation to looking at Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. Uh, because if these things would have been said rather than what takes place in Luke chapter 15, the story would not have been successful as we find the parable and the account that Jesus is giving to show the detail of what it means to love those who are lost and out in the world to those that can come back based upon the attitude that the Pharisees were having and that Jesus was sitting to sit down with eat with sinners. Because they weren't very happy with that. 
We see the account of the man who loses one sheep and he goes off to find that one sheep to bring it back to the fold. And we see the angels in heaven rejoice over that fact. We see the woman who loses the coin in the house and she tears the house apart to find this one coin and she rejoices over it and she calls all of her friends because she's so excited because she found that one lost coin. To me, I always think it's interesting that she's looking in the house. Sometimes we can lose folks in the church too, brethren. Sometimes those that can occupy a pew space, it doesn't mean spiritually they're here. It means they're just here in body and not in spirit. But then, of course, we know the parable of the prodigal son so well, right? The son who comes to his father, he said, Father, you're basically dead to me. Give me that which is my portion, that one-third. I want to go off into the world and I want to live how I want to live. But notice it also says there that he divided amongst both of them. Not only did he give it to the younger, but he also gave it to the older son. But the older son, we know that he sticks around and he stays to serve the father. But the old, the youngest goes out into the world and he lives it up, riotous living, has a good time, wastes all of his money, and then he comes to himself, right? It says that he finally came to himself when he's feigned in the pig pen eating husk. He's being taken care of by a Gentile and he says, you know what, I can't live like this. But he finally gets enough about him to say, this is not where I want to be. He said, you know what, I'll take the lowest place in my father's house. Even my servants have things to eat. This isn't where I need to be. So he goes back to the father. He basically falls down at his father's feet saying, this is where I need to be. The father doesn't want to hear any excuses. He's just happy to have his son come home, isn't he? So tonight, the story I want to tell, I'm going to call it the parable of excuses that might have been. And so when you think about the parable of the prodigal son, we want to talk about some excuses that he didn't give. But yet, brethren, there's so many times people in the Lord's church and people that are thinking about becoming Christians give this excuse and these different excuses too many times. And when you think about it, they're really poor excuses because when we stand before the Father in heaven, either you have an excuse or a good reason. And guess what, brethren? The Lord's the only one who gets to decide. Often I tell people that. They come to me and say, Larry, I'm so sorry I missed church. I had to do this and these things came up and all these things. I say, you don't have to tell me. You've got to take that up with the Lord. I'm not the one taking attendance. God is. So when we think about the parable of the prodigal son who went into the world and lost his way and realized that's not where he wanted to be because he was sowing his wild oats, these excuses happen too many times in too many cases in the Lord's church, brethren, and they ought not to be so because these excuses are not going to stand righteously before God on the day of judgment. Excuse number one, I'd go home, but I've, I've gone way too far to turn back now. How many times people have said that when they're lost in sin because they think they're so low and they're so far. You look at his condition concerning the parable of the prodigal son, he's, he's, he's as far as you can get, it's disgraceful. He's turned his back on his father and said, I don't even want anything to do with you. Give me everything that is mine so I can go do what I want to do. And you look at what he's done based upon the fact that he's turned his back on the man who loves him. He's turned his back on his father. Absolutely repugnant. I can't even think of how ashamed my parents would be if I turned my back on them. I can tell you this. I'll be the first to tell you being six foot seven. I am a mama's boy and I'm proud of it. Not in the sissy sense, but in a good sense. I don't mind showing my mother affection and telling her I love her and how much I appreciate what she's done for me as I've grown up. But at the same time, there's no way I would ever turn my back on my parents and let them be ashamed of me to disgrace my father's good name. 
And that's exactly what this young man did. He turned his back on his father and disgraced his name. Yet when he got out into the world and he realized the world wasn't everything he thought it would be, what did he do? It said that he came to himself and said, even my father has servants that are eating better than I'm eating. But he didn't allow that to stop him. The gospel is the good news that saves people. And even those in the Bible that we read about that turn their back on their father, they get so low down on themselves, even come to the point when they realized, even I can come back. You think about Peter turning his back on his own Lord and gazing across and saying, Lord, I'm never going to be the one to turn my back on you. What did Jesus say? Yes, you will. Yes, you will, Peter. And that's exactly what he did, didn't he? But it's interesting how Peter himself later realizes the love of the Father and the love of the Son in John chapter 21 when Jesus asked him three times if you love me. Peter, lovest thou me? Well, yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, yes, I love you. No, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three rejections and three times he tells them that he loves them. So we can understand no matter how far we get and how far we're lost in sin, brethren, it never means that there's not a tether back to the Father. It never means that there's not a safety line to call us back home where we need to be. The problem is too many times we don't look up to see the Father looking over us. I heard a preacher say one time, it's interesting how the only animals that are able to look towards heaven are human beings. You think about those other animals out in the wild, and I worked as a wildlife biologist for several years. These other animals, because of their design basically from the Creator, aren't able to look towards the heavens. Yet God designed it that we might look towards Him for guidance when we're lost and we need our way to find it back home. The prodigal son was exactly where he needed to be at the moment he needed to realize that this is not the life that he wanted to live. But you see, this story is a success because he didn't make the excuse to say, I can't go back home. I remember when I was 20 years old and I was stationed in San Diego, California, and I thought it was a good idea being a Lance Corporal in the Marine Corps, making $600 a month, that I was going to get an apartment that cost $1,000 a month. Because this was so bright of me to get two other roommates and we were going to move off base because we were sick and tired of the rules and having to do field day and all these other ridiculous things. Well, guess what? I got over my head. Imagine that. But I remember I had called my mother before telling her what I was going to do, and she said, that's probably not a good idea. Oh, Mom, what do you know? Well, about two months later, guess who Larry had to call? Larry had to call his mother and eat crow. But I remember what my mother said to me, and I'll never forget it. She said, this is the only time I'm going to bail you out, because if I do from this point on, you're never going to learn to take responsibility. I never forgot that. It wasn't the fact that she didn't love me. It wasn't the fact that she wouldn't take care of me. What she was trying to teach me was a lesson because she loved me as a parent does. And it's always interesting that our Father, though He gives us His guidance through His Word, hears His directions to heaven, tells us everything we need to know that pertains to life and godliness, all these things that make us pure and righteous, yet many times we ignore the guidance that God is giving us, and we get out into the world, but when we come back, just like my mother, she never said, I told you so. Never once did she say, I told you so. Yet what she did was she taught me a very valuable rule. And what God teaches us when we get lost out in the world and we need to find our way back, He doesn't say, I told you so. He embraces us with open arms just as the father did to the prodigal. So this is a story of success because the prodigal didn't say, I've gone too far to turn back now. Second excuse he didn't say. 
I'd go home, but my friends would make fun of me. How many times I've heard this. Larry, it's just too difficult to walk down that pew because too many people might be talking about me. Do you think they're going to be talking about you on the day of judgment when God is separating the righteous from the unrighteous? Do you think it matters what they're going to say based upon the judgment that God's going to give us on the day of judgment? You look at Luke 15 and verse 16 and how low that he was. He said, He would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him anything. It's interesting in this particular account that Jesus gives, here was a man that had to tie himself to a citizen of the country that was a Gentile. There was nothing lower than a Jew having to go to a Gentile for help and at the same time getting down in a pig pen with the swine. Can you get any lower than that as a Jew? But he was not worried about what his friends were going to think of him because of the state that he was living in. He said, this isn't where I need to be. But yet too many times, too many people are worried about what people think of them rather than how God is going to judge them. Brethren, when we stand before the Lord, it doesn't matter who's standing next to us. It only matters who we're standing before. And we have to remember our friends aren't going to be the ones that judge us. I always remember my grandfather used to say, I'm so glad that when I stand before God, he's the one judging me and not mankind. Because God is gracious and God shows mercy. I heard a man say one time, I don't want, when I stand before God, I want justice. I don't want justice. I want God's mercy. Because I know I'm not perfect and that I've made mistakes. The Bible tells me that I'm an imperfect creature serving a perfect Savior. But this account was wonderful because the prodigal wasn't worried about what his friends would think. He might have to eat crow and swallow his pride. Because even Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Many times our pride gets in the way based upon what we're worried about what the world might say. That's uh, today I think we call that political correctness. Are we worried about political correctness as God's people? I heard a preacher say not too long ago, he said, you know what PC stands for? Pathetic coward. Because we're not willing to stand for that which is right concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we worried about what everybody else thinks or are we worried about what the Lord thinks? Why is this story a success? Because he didn't offer this excuse. Here's the next one he didn't say. Well, I'd go home, but my brother's a hypocrite. <laughs> Can't be denied that uh, certainly he was if you note his reaction in verses 29 and 30. And I want you to notice all the personal pronouns of the older brother here. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I, I serve thee. He said, neither transgressed I, I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me, me, a kid, that I, I might make merry with my, my friends. Notice all the personal selfish pronouns that he says here. Lord, look at me and look how great I am and all the wonderful things that I've done for you, Father. But as soon as this guy comes home and you've just, he's devoured his living with harlots, notice he jumps to conclusions there because it never says anything about how he wasted his money. But the older brother is simply making a guess. Wasted all his money on harlots out in the world. Then you kill the fatted calf for him. What about me, father? Well, what about you? What's the father say? And he said unto him, son, art thou ever with me and all that I have is thine? Everything I've had here has always been yours. Here's a lost soul that's coming home. But you know, the son didn't say I'm not going to go back because he knew how his older brother was. Siblings know siblings, don't they? My little brother, well, I call him little, he's six years younger, but he's six foot nine and 330 pounds. But he's still my baby brother. 
He knows how to push my buttons. He knows those things that, that make me mad or, or get on my nerves because he's my little brother. But at the same time, I'm sure this younger brother knew his older brother in this particular case. And he didn't say, you know what, I can't go back because my brother's a hypocrite. And how many times I've heard people in the church say, well, I can't go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, absolutely true. That's the case. You know, the biggest hypocrites are blind to their own faults but are quick to judge other people, aren't they? I saw something the other day, or today when I was going over my sermon concerning hypocrites, and it said not going to church because of hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of people that are out of shape. It doesn't stop you from going to the gym, does it? You see, even when you think about Gaius didn't quit because of diatrophies in Third John, did he? No. It didn't keep him from going to the church. If we refuse to live among hypocrites here, where do you think we're going to live among them there? You see, those hypocrites that call other people hypocrites are ones that aren't going to inherit eternity. But you see, this story was successful because he wasn't worried about what his brother was going to think. He was more worried about what the father was going to say. Brethren, we can't allow hypocrites to keep us out of the Lord's church. But unfortunately, this story, or fortunately rather, this story is a success because that's not something the young man said. It's also an excuse he didn't say. He didn't say, I'd go home, but I don't think that I can live right. Well, could well have grown accustomed to some aspects of that riotous living, I'm sure. You know, my brother, before he was converted, uh, I used to spend many hours with my younger brother on the phone trying to convert him. And many times he would tell me, Larry, there's just too many things in this world that I don't want to give up. I said, well, that's okay. But I said, remember, eventually this world is going to end and you're going to give up those things anyway. So it's either going to be on your terms or it's going to be on God's terms. Which do you decide? But I can remember the day that he finally decided to put on Christ in baptism. We, I was preaching in Alabama and he reached over the aisle and he handed me a note. And on that note said, today's the day. Now, can you imagine a six foot nine and a six foot seven fella getting in a small baptistry? We did it. Wasn't much water left, but we did it. But he finally gave up his pride and he let go of the world. You see, this young man was a success because he let go of his pride and he let go of what he was holding on to in the world. He didn't say, well, I can't go back because the world is too much fun. But too many times the case is pride plays a factor in that particular role in too many people's lives because they don't want to let go of it. Because they want to straddle the fence. And even Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. So we have to make a decision whom we choose to serve, right? Even in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said there's the narrow way and there's the broad way. Few people find the narrow way. Many people want to go on the broad way because guess what? That's the easy way. But we understand that eternity is full of rewards and sometimes that way is difficult. This young man learned the hard way. You know, I can tell you, when I first joined the military, uh, I wasn't a righteous individual. I'll be flat out honest with you. Uh, It was a very worldly place to be. And I thought I knew better than God knew, and I thought I knew better than my parents knew, until finally I got a big slap of reality upside the back of my head to say, Larry, this is not where you need to be. And sometimes that's exactly what it takes. And sometimes the Lord is patient enough, heaven, thank Him for that, that He's patient enough that we have the opportunity to return. But we have to understand one day God's patience is going to run out. 
The Lord is certainly patient with us. The Bible tells us that in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we have to understand that God's righteousness and judgment is on His timetable and not ours. And one of these days, He's going to look to His Son and say, I'm done. Bring my babies home. And will we be found faithful and judge, and judge righteously on that day? Or are we going to be like this man living out in the world who decided, you know, maybe this isn't where I want to be. But fortunately, he didn't say, well, I, I can't go home now because there's so much fun living out here in the world. You know, anybody that I've ever talked to who's decided to put on Christ in baptism that's left a world of sin has never said, Larry, I sure do wish I was back there. Some of the stories that I've heard, brethren, your jaw would drop on the life that some of these people that I've talked to, the life that they used to live. I know faithful gospel preachers, the stories they tell me, but they said, by the grace of God go I, is the reason I stand and preach the gospel today. This young man didn't say, I'm having too much fun out in the world, because when that money ran out, guess what? The fun ran out. And then when he realized that he could no longer get to where he wanted to be, living unrighteously, he knew the only way to go was towards the Father. I always think of that Motel 6 commercial, we'll leave the light on for you. God's light is always shining through the, th through the sun, isn't it? But you know what? He also didn't say, I'd go home, but I'd have to say I'm wrong. Mm -mm -mm. Again, pride plays the factor, right? Every child leaving home makes mistakes. We want to show that we can make it on our own, don't we? I did. When I first got out there, I thought I knew everything. Boy, I thought I was smart. And the older I get... And the older my children get, the more I sound like my parents. And I used to tell myself, I'll never sound like that. And my mother just laughs now every time she's around her grandbabies. But that's just our folly, the folly of our youth, isn't it? You see, there's a difference from being unwise and being sinful. And sometimes we can show the folly of our youth, but we can still be righteous at the same time. That's where the older folks in the congregation help to guide us and keep us on that spiritual path of righteousness. But we have to admire, though, in Luke 15 and verse 18, it said, when he said, Father, I've sinned against thee, and I've sinned against heaven. He admitted that he was wrong, and sometimes that's the most difficult thing for us to do as God's children, is to admit that we made a mistake before our Father. But like I said last night, never do we stand so tall as when we kneel before God in prayer. And that's when we're at our weakest moment when God is reaching down to pick us back up to say, you know what, it's going to be okay. It doesn't matter how many times we fall flat on our face as God's children. It matters how many times we're willing to stand up and reach out to God for that help. Because that's exactly what God wants us to do. You know, he probably didn't have to say it, but he did. And the father literally interrupted him and saying, it doesn't matter, you're home. He was just happy to have his son back. But he didn't say, you know what, I, I, gotta have to, I have to admit that I'm wrong. Yes, we do, because repentance is required. And God wants us to understand the state that we were in is not where we want to be. You know, that was the hardest phone, phone call for me to make when I had to call my mother and admit I needed her help financially. I was hoping she didn't pick up, to be honest. But she never could have been more loving than she was in that case to help me out of that situation. And that's exactly the love and the mercy that the father showed toward the son when he came home. He didn't berate him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't make fun of him. He just said, son, I'm thankful that you're here. When I first started preaching the gospel, I'll never forget this. The first lady that ever responded to an invitation to me. Boy, I was excited. My head got a little big that day. 
but it wasn't about me. But I'll never forget, as she walked down the aisle and she sat down and I was nervous, I didn't know what to say, but boy, I was rejoicing that she had come forward. Tears were flowing, I was crying. But I can remember about three rows back, because it was a very small church, I heard a lady lean over to another one and say, she's just going to do it again. My heart broke. And to this day, I don't know if she ever has returned to the church. Because here was a woman who was willing to walk that aisle, and it doesn't matter if it's three steps or 300. That's a long walk, brethren. And when we make that walk to come home to the Lord, how dare we judge those that are coming to pray, to lay their heart out before God and say, I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. Rather, we should be the ones to embrace them and say, you know what, I've been where you've been. I've made those same mistakes. And God bless you for having a tender heart to come home to the Father. That's what we need to understand. We are not the judges of man. That's God's job. Our job is to be like God and to be Christ-like, Philippians 2.5, to have His mind and to love His Son and shine as His light towards those that He loves and that He died for on the cross of Calvary. That's what we need to be concerned with. But you see, this young man wasn't concerned about what people were going to say, and he wasn't concerned that he had to admit that he was wrong to the Father because he knew to get back in God's good graces, that's what he needed to do. And you know what? He also didn't say, I'd go home. But not now, I'll do it later. How many times and how many stories I've heard of those that it was too late. One gospel preacher said that he had been studying with a man who was basically on his deathbed. And finally, the man had agreed to, be, to obey the gospel. They had to get permission from the doctor and his nurses because he was bedridden. They had to get him over to the baptistry to get basically people to help get him into the baptistry to be baptized. So there was a lot of logistics involved, so it was going to take about a day. So the next day they came, they brought the van, they were ready to baptize him. He said, let me use the restroom, we'll kick and go in here and, and kind of clean up, and then we'll go and get the wheelchair. They heard a big thud in the bathroom, and he dropped dead right there in the bathroom. So close, yet so far. So many people wait so long, yet think they have one more minute to obey the gospel. James 4.14 tells us exactly how short life is, but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, I can remember when I didn't have any gray hair. I can remember when my youngest was in kindergarten and now he's getting ready to graduate college. I can remember when Rick had hair. <laughs> because time passes quickly. We can't allow time to slip by to where we don't take the opportunity. You think about the accounts in the Bible when Agrippa in Acts 26 and verse 28, and Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou almost persuaded me, Paul. You almost got me. Or you think about when Felix trembled. He said, Go thy way and I'll call you when it's a little bit more convenient for me to call you. But some of you today will say, Well, maybe I am right with God and maybe I'm not right with God, but I've always got tomorrow and I can worry about tomorrow tomorrow. But do you have tomorrow? Is tomorrow guaranteed? No, it's not guaranteed. The Bible tells us that it's not guaranteed. But here's the thing. You know your Father will accept you back, so why do you put it off? If you know your state and your condition is not righteous and you're struggling with some sin, don't be ashamed of the sin. What we need to be ashamed of is that we're separated from the Father. And sometimes that's the hardest step for us to take. Several years ago in Alabama, I preached a double casket funeral, and I pray, I pray I never have to do that again. But I got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning that 
one of our young members who was 16 and her mother, who had been wayward, yet she was finally starting to come back to church but had not responded and knew the state that she was in, and I talked to her several times that she needed to fix this and get it right. But yet at 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call that a drunk driver had crossed the line and smashed into their car and killed them both. So close, yet so far. Brethren, we know not what the morrow may bring. And because we don't know what it's going to bring, don't make an excuse that this man didn't make. He didn't allow anything to stop him, though he understood where he was, wasn't where he needed to be. He understood that he wanted to be back with the Father, and he knew he was going to do anything to make that right. Didn't matter what he had to admit, didn't matter what he had to do, but he knew that he was going to be right with the Father before that day ended. Make that happen today. Don't put it off before it's everlasting too late. You see, the story of the prodigals is a success because he did not wait to do what he needed to do. If you're a wayward child of God, if the prodigal story is your story, then hopefully the ending is going to be like his, to where we come to ourselves and say, you know what, this isn't how I need to live. And if you choose to walk that aisle tonight, we're going to love you, we're going to embrace you, Rick's going to talk to you, the men are going to pray for you, and you know what, as you leave here tonight, you can know that the weight is lifted off of your shoulders you don't have that guilt. You don't have that pressure. You don't have that worry. You don't have the anxiety is not going to be there because all of those sins are taken care of. And maybe tonight, if your story is one that has not obeyed the gospel, what's keeping you from responding tonight? Is it pride? Is it something in the world? Is it a spouse? Is it a family member? Is it your work? Whatever those things are, those things won't matter in eternity. Allow God to take away all those sins based upon what His Son did for you at Calvary. Repent of your sins tonight, Luke 13, 3. Confess your faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for you, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And finally, put them on in baptism and have all of those sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. But I can tell you this, and any faithful gospel preacher and Christian who's been a Christian long enough will tell you, it's not going to be easy. You're going to struggle from time to time. You're going to have difficulties and you're going to fall flat on your face and have to get back up and admit that you've sinned, but that's okay. Because 1 John 1, 7 says we have the blood of Jesus Christ that continually cleanses us when we make a mistake. Isn't that a wonderful and joyful thing, brethren? That we can make mistakes, but God gives us a second chance if He allows us the next day. You have the opportunity tonight before it's everlasting too late. And I pray that you'll do it now as together we stand and as we sing.